Well, the war in Ukraine is now entering its second year. and Some estimates put military casualties on both sides at 100,000 each. A Russian offensive in the Donbass, which has seen waves of troops attack Ukrainian front lines, has been likened to the brutal trench warfare of the First World War. Debbie Deegan, the woman who founded the charity To Russia With Love, knew some of those Russian men who died. They were reared in her orphanage in Bryansk and she remains in touch with others at the front and some who are in hiding to avoid being called up. I spoke to her a little earlier. She began by telling me about her first encounters with children in institutions in Russia more than 25 years ago. Um, well, we started 25 years ago when there was a, a, a huge need um, in Russia. And I didn't really realise at that time how bad things were there. Um, and we visited an orphanage there. And um, I just was kind of hit by a bolt of lightning, I suppose, in a way. And I just felt that the kids, they're magnificent children, kind of age six up. And I just felt that they were in a very grim position. And I felt we were in a position at the time to do something about it. We met a bunch of children that we really connected with on a very deep level, really. And we stayed with those children to this day, actually. Um, We were there for weddings, funerals, babies being born. We were there for the right the way through. And we had Irish volunteers living on the ground over there for a period of about 14 or 15 years. And uh, they were heavily involved in the children's lives. And the intervention made an unbelievable difference to those children. Um, And they all had Irish sponsor families. They all had a huge affinity with Ireland and with us all. And they're now not children. They're all young adults. And many people in this country, you know, historically, who would have been through the industrial schools, um, entered army life. It was a structured life and perhaps an institutionalised setting was something that suited them living in barracks and the like. Did the same kind of throughput occur in Russia with people going from orphanages to the military? Yeah, exactly the same. I think there was some statistic about something like 97% of orphan boys ended up either back in prison or in the army or those type of institutions. Um, Now, we tried to crack that with our boys because we felt an awful lot of them had much more to offer. Um, whereas the normal orphan would have been kind of trundled through and directed towards the army. And then, of course, orphans make great soldiers because when they go missing, nobody notices, really. In general, there's nobody screaming about them. There's no mammies with placards shouting about them. Um, So they probably make good fodder. And as far as, I mean, you're aware of people who've joined the army since the most recent mobilisation or who are caught up in what Russia calls its special military operation, have you lost any of, of the family, as you call it? We have. Um, we have two um, that have been killed on the front line in the last two months. Um, we buried one last Saturday and we have one missing at the moment. Um, he, may ju- he may be just not in communication, I don't know. But we know these children since they're six and seven years old. And I suppose there's not too many people maybe in Ireland that would have, you know, those kind of relationships with children who are on that side of the the line as such, those soldiers. And were Uh, you in contact with them during their time in the military? Did you get a sense of what motivated them, what drove them on? Yes, I was. Um, And no, I wasn't supposed to be. Um, And we would have had calls and FaceTime calls and they would reach out to us all the time through their lives for everything, whether they're having a birthday party, a wedding or whether they're on the front line. They would be quite used to reaching out to us um, 
whatever's going on in their life, whether it's to say, you know, I love you and I, I, I respect my Irish family and I'm, you know, I'm always going to try and be kind and respect people because that's what we would have taught them. Um, and so if any of that rubbed off on them, I would only hope that maybe they made, I don't know, kinder soldiers or more respectful people, human beings. But um, yes, we've lost two and as I say, we've one at the moment that is missing. When mobilisation happened, some of our boys who would have been like young dads or, you know, young men about 28 or 29, a lot of them went into hiding and they still are in hiding. Um, and so the wives are living with kids on their own, small children, and the boys are in hiding if they were terrified of going. For the ones that they did get, um, or for the ones that may have already been even in the army that went willingly, they would definitely be, I don't argue with them on the phone about their views. They would definitely be of the mindset that they're trying to save us from Nazi um, Nazis and they would be telling me that they're going to save us from Nazis and that that's why they're fighting for us and that they would hope that they can do that for us. And they truly, truly believe that. And given your level of emotional involvement with these boys, Debbie, when you hear that and you hear that they're risking their lives or, as you've just said, dying for this cause, does that make it worse? Um, it doesn't make it any worse uh, for me what cause they're dying for. I um, I just, I can only say to them to stay safe. Don't listen to, you know, don't do anything stupid. If you feel you're captain or whoever they're called is given you know instructions that are not safe for you don't listen to them that's all I can say like like I won't say we're like a mother figure to them but like what does a what does a mammy say to them to their children in a situation like that I'm not going to start lecturing them on history or I'm not going to start lecturing them on what propaganda looks like or doesn't look like it's not my job in life to do that with them I can just say to them just to be careful um like they're not lieutenants and captains, my lot. You know what I mean? They would be the frontliners, I suppose, or the fodder, I guess, you know? I suppose if you've got a rich daddy, uh, you're going to be the one that's sitting in the office polishing the phone lines or whatever it is you do. But you're not going to be the one out on the field, I don't think. Yeah, and you one know? lad, you know, was was wounded more than once and, and still went back to the front or was sent back to the front. He was, he was Yes, he was shot twice and... Um, I had a FaceTime call and he showed me his wounds. He was in hospital actually when he phoned me to tell me how much he loved the Irish and to pass on his his last words in case he didn't come back a third time. Um, just to say that they were the happiest days of his life when he was a child and he wanted me to pass that on and that he was doing his best to fight for us Irish now and do his best for us. And he genuinely meant it. So, and as I, a mammy, I, I, Debbie, as, as, as you put it yourself, being being a mammy to these orphans, what's a conversation like like that to have? Um, it's very extremely difficult to, to to have those conversations, you know. And he sent me photographs of pictures of Russian Orthodox, a tiny Orthodox church that they had made, a makeshift thing, and he was saying a prayer for us. And when you hang up the phone after a conversation like that and, you know, you're left to contemplate in the silence of your own room, you obviously have have worries about these boys. I mean, have you raised those worries with anybody you're in contact with, say the Russian ambassador here? I do. Yes, I would. Um, I would talk to uh, Yuri Filatov as the Russian ambassador here. I find him to be an absolute gentleman. I always did. 
Um, so I would have gone over to him once or twice in the last year. Um, I wrote to Putin also. And what did you say in the letter? Um, well, it was from me to him, but um, I expressed my horror at the whole thing and I felt that it was in his hands to pull back completely and, you know, but I mean, who am I? I'm nobody. And even me writing to him was like, you know, who do I think I am? But I just felt I had the power to do it. I'd met him. I felt, you know, I had the power to do it because I they I feel genuinely that the Russians would have respected the work that we did. And I felt, well, if they did respect the work that we did there for 25 years, the least he can do is listen to my views on this. He mightn't like it, but he... He's, he, I felt he would listen to it. I don't understand how nobody's talking peace. I don't understand in 2023. I'm not clever enough to understand how, with all of the sides involved, America, Germany, you know, Ukraine, Russia, and there's not one single man or woman sitting around a table trying to find uh, peace in this. I don't understand that. From your contacts with Russian people, and you've been in contact with people from all levels, from bureaucrats to the well-to-do to people, as you say, within the orphanages themselves, have you managed to glean a range of opinions on the war or do you detect a fairly united front in terms of supporting Putin on this? Um, I'd say he has, I would say he has more of a united front now than he had in the beginning. Um, I think because they are seeing... I think Russians are seeing how much the world has turned on them as such. Um, I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that's how they're seeing it. Is that through and the uh, sanctions? I mean, have they bitten? Have they had an impact? Of no, kind of br- I don't think sanctions have had any. From from talking to my own Russians, and I say at every level, from like very lowly people, you know, people on very lowly salaries up to people at the top. I mean, okay, they can't travel, but rich people can still travel. Bread and butter and all that sort of stuff has definitely gone up in price and poorer people would find that hard. But Russians are exactly like Ukrainians in that they're incredibly resilient people. So no matter what you throw at them, they'll get over it. Like every Russian house has pickled cabbages, pickled potatoes, pickled tomatoes, pickled mushrooms for a year supply in their basement, like a year supply of food in their basement. They'll they'll work away with what they've got, as I say, as other Ukrainians. So I don't see... I don't see the sanctions have impacted at all, personally. Not not with them, not with the Russians that I know. And for your own part, you've transferred your own charitable endeavours here to Ireland. Now you're working with Ukrainians. Yeah, I have been involved with the Ukrainians from the nearly from the get go. Um, I got involved in the story last year. I don't know if you saw, but a lovely old granny came in to live in Ballyvaughan, and she had to leave her dog behind her in Romania, and she was totally devastated. So I went on a hunt to find her dog in uh, Romania and um, I found it and got it back. It was on RTE Blah Blah at the time and uh, it was just a lovely story that kind of caught on and went viral. But um, So I was, I'm was i still involved with that family um, there down in Ballyvaughan and I've been involved in other families in Dublin as well. For me, I don't really see borders. People that need help, I don't care really where they are. Um, it doesn't bother me whether they're a Ukrainian family that needs help or the only thing is for me, children that have no parents, I would they, I would prioritise them over children who do have parents. So orphans are kind of what I'm, where my heart lies, or children without parents, um, and that's where my and, and that's why I'm still involved in Russia because we still I would still talk to our own orphanage directors regularly that I have been working with for a very very long time in Russia, and I would have huge respect for them. And in some of our orphanages now in Russia, we have Ukrainian children. 
Um, now, I haven't gone into the details of that over the phone with my own orphanage directors in Russia because I, I, I'm afraid to even ask the questions about that. As in, you'd be afraid to ask, you know, how they got there, where they were transferred yeah, from. Yeah, I'm not going to start asking those questions over the phone. And also, I don't, I'm not raising money. I'm not looking for funds. I'm not running a charity. So I, I'm not in a position to try and help or solve those problems. Um, but but I you have know. concerns. Don't forget where we have been play where we have lived in Russia for the last twenty five years is right coincidentally right on the border. It's a town called Bryansk, and it's right on the border of Ukraine. A lot of Ukrainians have come across the border willingly and unwillingly. I'm guessing, and a lot of them are living over the border. They've come up from Donbass, from all those places that we're hearing about all the time, because the towns are decimated, and in some cases there was orphans, and so yes, they're in the orphanages. I haven't seen the children. I haven't met them. I haven't been to Russia since the war started, I, I, and I miss it. And that was Debbie Deegan who founded and ran the charity To Russia With Love speaking to me a little earlier. Well, homeless figures at an all-time high, but still no certainty as to whether or not the eviction ban is going to be extended or allowed to lapse. We'll be debating that after this. Saturday with Conor Mungon on RTE Radio 1. 